couple of things here I want to begin with. Uh, first off, I just want to I just want to thank you. Uh, as one of your pastors on staff, I just want to thank you for your generosity here at Center Church. Uh, our uh, we are doing very well in terms of our budget for the year, and uh, I just want to let you know some of the ways in which we have used those funds. So a couple of months ago, Macy, our children's director, came to me and asked if we had the funds available to send her and one other person, Katie, to the Orange Conference. And the Orange Conference, if you don't know, the Orange Curriculum is what we use here to share the gospel with our children and with our students, and it's a way that we try to use this as a resource to equip parents. And so uh, we went to our finance team and said, hey, we think this would be a great opportunity to send uh, our children's director and one of our volunteers on this trip to learn more and become better equipped to minister our people. And they came back and said, hey, we actually are doing really well financially. Even though it wasn't planned for the budget, we are able to send them. So our finance team gave us the approval and we sent Macy and Katie last week to the Orange Conference, in which I think they learned a lot. And so the reason why I just want to say thank you is because of your generosity that you're able to resource us as your staff to invest in ourselves in such a way that we can better minister to you. And so again, I just want to say as one of our, one of your pastors, thank you. Thank you for your generosity as we continue to not only minister to this community of believers, but we, as we also continue to minister to this community and Brenham and take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. I'm excited. And you are too. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be looking at, to, at just the beginning, we're going to be looking at verse 39, but uh, we are going to walk from verse 30 all the way to through 40 today, but I really want us to focus in on verse 39 for a few moments, because I think we need to be reminded once again of the object of our faith, the object of our faith, because it is the object of our faith that leads us to walk by faith, as we see throughout the many examples that have been presented to us in Hebrews chapter 11. But, but I don't need to tell you this, but I will anyway. Uh, we live in a very interesting culture, don't you agree? Uh, we live in a culture of what I call the culture of tolerant intolerance. And yes, I did make that phrase up this week in my preparation time. The culture of tolerant intolerance. And what I mean by that is we live in a culture that wants to be tolerant of everybody and everything. Unless what you believe or what you hold to is different from what you're supposed to be tolerant of. And then at that point, everybody else becomes intolerance of your intolerant tolerance. You see how crazy that is? Makes absolutely no sense, right? But that's the world that we are living in. This is the idea of what we, behind the, the, the culture term that we've called, we've coined called cancel culture. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters in Christ. We as a church, we are just as much under cancel culture as anybody else in our society. In fact, I would argue to you that nobody is exempt from cancel culture in our culture, in our society. So, for example, uh, J.K. Rawlings this week once again made the news. Uh, J.K. Rawlings, if you don't know, she was the author behind the Harry Potter series. Me and J.K. Rawlings, we, have, uh, we would agree that we love to use our imaginations. In fact, some of the greatest Christian thinkers had great imaginations. You ever heard of the name C.S. Lewis? The Chronicles of Narnia. Right. Like he, he was one of the most profound and, and Christian theologians ever. And he used his imaginations to create some of the most wonderful children's books on the planet. But J.K. Rowling has a has a view for imagination as well. And I, I enjoy that that part of, of her um, her crafting, her, her artistry in, in her writings. But uh, J.K. Rowling, and I also believe that gender is a biological fact. Gender is a biological fact. Our bodies tell us what our gender is, not our feelings, not what we believe. It is our bodies that tell us 
the biological fact of your gender. That's why she would not say this, but I would say this in terms of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, that God created everyone in his image, but he created them what? Male and female. And your body tells you which category you fall into. But culture doesn't want to hear that. In fact, if you begin to make that claim, you become intolerant of the tolerance because the only tolerance of our culture is the tolerance of the culture's beliefs. You have to tolerate and believe what they believe. Anything outside of that is pushed back and is canceled. But I want you to I want you to think about something for a moment. I think we as a Christian church in America, I, I think we have become very easy in our faith. In fact, I would argue that we've become very comfortable in our faith, right? Like persecution to us makes no sense. The idea of being pushed against for our beliefs makes no sense because we have, by God's grace, at one point lived in a culture where it was okay to be a Christian and nobody questioned you on that, right? But guess what? I believe that persecution, if it's not already here, is going to continue to come against the church, even in America. But here's what I want you to understand. You should not be surprised by this, brothers and sisters. Is not this the way that most Christians live their lives? Most of the apostles were martyred for their faith. Jesus himself was crucified for our sins. Think of Isaiah the prophet or Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And why do we think that we're any different? Why do we think as followers of Jesus, we don't deserve, not deserve. That's a bad word. Let's change that around. Why as followers of Jesus, we don't think we are going to be persecuted for our faith. And you and I need to remember that this is the exact reason that the author of Hebrews is writing This letter, he is writing this letter to a church who is being persecuted for their faith. And they are not being persecuted to the to the area of martyrdom. They're not being killed for their faith, but they are being persecuted for believing in Jesus. Recall back to me many months ago when we were in Hebrews chapter 10. The author of Hebrews says it's you struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you are being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction because of your faith in Jesus. In other words, some of you are going to be publicly exposed. Some of you are going to be publicly uh, deal with reproach and affliction because of your faith in Jesus. That might be online. That might be on your social media accounts, which this is a totally different sermon. I would just argue get off social media. You're welcome. That's free advice. You don't even have to take that. You can just look at my blog and you find out why I disbelieve in social media so vehemently. But that's besides the point. The idea here is that these people, they're being exposed because of their faith in Jesus. Some of them are even going to prison for their faith. Some of them are even having their property taken away from them because of their faith. And the author of Hebrews is saying, is saying, listen, guys, when persecution raises its ugly head, when you suffer for the sake of Christ, persevere. Fight the good fight of faith. Continue to follow Jesus, even if it costs you everything. Why? That's what you should ask yourself. Why? Why should I continue to persevere? Why should I continue to fight the good fight of faith? I mean, the the people in Hebrews, they're struggling. They're actually asking the question, is following Jesus really worth all of this? And the author of Hebrews says with a resounding, yes, he is. And so before I read some of these great models of the faith, I want us to be reminded of the very central truth of how they were able to walk by faith. In other words, this is what I want you to take away from my sermon this morning. Real faith has the ability to meet real life. 
Your faith is not some abstract reality that we're waiting for the future. Your faith actually goes into practice and applies to your life today. When you follow Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, that faith is immediately activated into your life right now. Not into the future. Although it will be there in the future as well. We learn to obey. We learn to follow. We learn to give up everything and surrender all to Jesus. And so that's why I want to start in verse 39 before I read all these cool stories. Look at verse 39. The author reminds us, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Here's what I want you to take away. Number one, you have to understand this before you understand the rest of my points. Ignited faith treasures Jesus above everything else. Let me say it again. An ignited faith treasures Jesus above everything else. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are surrendering everything to Him. When you put your faith in Jesus, He is the object of your love, the object of your affections, the object of every fiber of your being. And when you see Jesus in that light, now you're in a position to walk by faith. John Piper, in his sermon, he made this comment. He said, When you truly have a love and affinity for Jesus, he said, then you walk by faith in every aspect of your life. You walk by faith when you eat. You walk by faith when you rest. You walk by faith when you work. You walk by faith with your spouse. You walk by faith in your singleness. You walk by faith when you parent. And let me tell you something. I'm going to create a shirt one day that says parenting is hard. And you're all going to buy it. Because let me tell you something. Parenting is hard. But by faith, we have to walk through parenting. By faith, we walk through how we deal with the cultural realities of this world. By faith, we walk through going to school. By faith, we walk in this life with the object and our focus on Jesus. That's the whole point. Think of the life of Moses, what we heard about a couple of weeks ago. You remember Moses is living in Egypt at the time? Moses had all the comforts of culture All this stuff. He was living in Pharaoh's house, but he gives it all away. Why? Look what it says in verse 26 of chapter 11. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Not to get too far ahead of next week, but look what Jesus is to us here in chapter 12 of verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus... The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, brothers and sisters, when we read Hebrews 11, when we read Hebrews 11, they are looking to this Jesus. They haven't even seen this Jesus yet. They just know he's coming. When they read the Old Testament, they see that the Old Testament is pointing to the Messiah. And think about their faith. They believe in this Jesus who hasn't even shown up yet on earth. They believe in him to the point that they're willing to do what? They're willing to build arcs. They're willing to move away from their homes to go follow God to wherever he tells them to go. Thinking of Abraham. They're willing to sacrifice their sons. Think of Abraham. They're willing to bear children past childbearing years. Think of Sarah. And she definitely had a shirt that said parenting is hard. 
They were willing like Moses to give up Egypt. They were willing like the Israelites to cross the Red Sea. And they are doing this in verse 39, he says, and all these were commended through their faith, even though they did not receive the promise. What was the promise that they were looking for? Jesus. But verse 40, he says, since God had provided better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You know what he's saying there? We have the promise and we see it in the past. As Christians, we look to the work of Jesus. The old, the New Testament has now been given to us to show us that Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live. That Jesus died to death on the cross that we deserve to die. And Jesus has victoriously resurrected from the grave. Listen, brothers and sisters, I know we had Easter a couple of weeks ago, but every Sunday is Easter for me. Because you know why? That tomb is still empty, brothers and sisters. And that's what my faith and your faith should be, should be bolted into, should be anchored into. And so all these people who are looking for Jesus, we today are looking back and see Jesus truly fulfilling what he came to fill and do. Amen? And that's how you walk in faith. N.T. Wright, he said this, which I thought was so profound. He said, could you imagine that all these people who are walking by faith and yet to see Jesus, that should be a rebuke to us. That should be a rebuke to us who have seen Jesus now, who have the gospel and the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John proving that Jesus is the son of God. And we are looking not at the promises that is going to be fulfilled, but the promise that already has been fulfilled in Jesus. And he says, how much more should we walk by faith then? How much more should we be like the people found in Hebrews chapter 11? Because we're looking back, seeing a glorified, resurrected Savior. That's the kind of impact Jesus has in your life. That's the kind of impact that faith presents to your life right now. That's when real faith meets real life. So I want to give you three ways that we see this in this text from verse 30 all the way down to verse 38. When your faith is ignited by Jesus, he becomes your ultimate treasure. So this is number one. You ready? By faith, you walk in victory. By faith, you walk in in victory. And I'm not talking just the future victory. I'm talking the victory you have right now in Jesus. Remember that old hymn? Victory in... Yeah, y'all know that hymn. That's how we walk today. In victory. Look what happens in verse 30. By faith, the author says, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So what we're going back to is we're going back to the Old Testament. After Moses has passed away, Joshua takes charge of the people of God. And he begins to lead the people of God into the promised land to begin to take over the promised land. And the first battle that we see Joshua fight, and technically Joshua is not really fighting this battle. The first battle that we see the Lord fight for Joshua is the battle of Jericho. Now, what's interesting about Jericho is Jericho was a city with these massive walls. You ever seen the Lord of the Rings, the two towers? You remember Helm's Deep? Maybe not. All right, so Helm's Deep, this is this big fortified city that they had in the mountainside, right? And that's like nobody could beat Helm's Deep. Well, well, Jericho was kind of like Helm's Deep, but it wasn't in a mountainside. It was actually in a valley. And they had these massive walls around Jericho. And they were in this valley so they could see far distances away, 365 degrees. So they could see their enemies coming up before their enemies would even get there. And they were able to bolt themselves in and to protect themselves and defend themselves from any type of attack. And here God comes to Joshua. 
And Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And he's like, I'm with you. It was, I believe that it was an actual theophany. It was the presence of God himself being revealed to Joshua in that moment. And this is what God tells Joshua to do. Are you ready? He says, I want you to get all the people. I want you to get seven priests with some ram horns. And I want you to put all the people in the guard behind and before the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to walk around the city one time, blowing the ram's horn, keep everybody quiet. I was like, Okay, and you're to do that for six days. But on the seventh day, on the seventh day, you actually need to walk around doing the same thing for the seventh seven times around the city. And on the seventh time, you blow the horn, the blow the horns and I'll take care of the rest. All right. Y'all know that I was a former Marine, right? I have read a lot of military publications and tactic books. I have read how to uh, close with and destroy the enemy. I have learned how to do sieges. I have learned to do uh, contact to command, you know, all the great stuff. And I have yet to read in any type of publication the military tactic of walking around playing some music to a city and watching it fall. Never seen that military tactic before other than in Joshua. And on the seventh day, Joshua, I mean, honestly, can you think about Joshua here for a moment? You think that's pretty crazy, right? Like, that's a, that's a crazy ask. Like, oh, okay, God, this sounds like a great idea. Let's just walk around this big city and blow some ram's horns with our priests. That'll really show them. But at the end, Joshua does it. He obeys God because he believes in the promises. He believes that when God's word says it, it's going to do it. And at the end, after the seventh time around, Joshua says, Shout, for the Lord has given you into them their hands. And what happens when he shouts? The walls come crumbling down. You see, Joshua lived his life in complete obedience to God, knowing that the battle belonged to the Lord. And knowing that Jesus doesn't lose battles. He is always victorious. But we don't just see that in Joshua's life. Look look at some of the other victories of verse 32 on down to 35. I'm just going to go highlight them very quickly. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. By the way, Gideon had 300 guys and he went and beat a whole army with very first Marine Corps right there, guys. Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, what did they do? They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. I think that's Daniel. They quenched the power of the fire. I think that's Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. Put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. I think that's 1 Kings 17 where the prophet Elijah brings the widow's son back from life, back from death to life. What do we learn about in all of these? We learn one truth about God. He is victorious. That when God promises victory, he always delivers that victory. Two ways I want us to think about that as it applies to your life today. Remember, I told you this is where this sermon is about how real faith meets real life. So number one, we live our life knowing of the victory to come. We live our life knowing of the victory to come. God has promised us that one day his son is going to return. And when Jesus returns, when that trumpet blows and Jesus returns, guess what happens? It is all going to be made new. It is all going to be put back the way that it was originally intended to be. That we are going to live in the new heavens and the new earth. That Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 is going to become a reality. That when our king returns, he is going to be declared victory. And he's going to put all things back the way that they were supposed to be. Including you and me. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, can you imagine what it's going to be like to live with no longer having that residue of sin sitting in you? It's going to be beautiful and glorious. You're going to actually say everything that you were supposed to say from the beginning. You will not hold grudges. You're not going to cry. There's going to be no more suffering. Everything is going to be put back the way that it was supposed to be when Jesus comes. But here's the reality. If that's the truth, then why do we live as if it's the future? We don't live as if it's coming in the present. If that's what awaits us in the end, then doesn't that help you live your life now in the present How for the glory of God? I think it does. I don't have to worry about what I'm dealing with right now. I can walk by faith in whatever it is I'm dealing with because I know that one day all of this is going to end. Jesus is going to return and he's going to be declared victor. Think of it like this. I think the idea here is that we as Christians should stop wasting our lives. Instead, we should live our lives knowing what the future holds. Knowing that for the next 60 to 90 years, yes, I might live in this particular setting at this particular time. But once that ends, once Jesus comes back, once I breathe my last, I will be with him forever and ever. That this is a small, small amount of time in comparison to all eternity to come. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which is one of my favorite books to read, by the way. He talks about it similar to this. This is how you would you, you think about living your life under the, the sovereignty and victory of God. He says, imagine it's like a cruise ship. God is the captain of your cruise ship. Now, if you go on a cruise, if you've ever been on a cruise, you go to wherever the captain is designed to go, right? So if you're going to the Bahamas, the captain's taking you to the Bahamas. If you're going to Alaska, the captain's taking you to Alaska. But what are you able to do on your cruise ship? Well, you can make all kinds of moral choices on your cruise ship, right? I went on a cruise one time with Katie, right after I got my Master of Theology. We went on this, this uh, five-day cruise without any children. And we, we did a couple of different things. Number one, we slept because we had children. So we were like, mm, it's quiet, house, sleep. I ate ice cream. We went and laid out by the pool. While I ate ice cream, I read books and ate some ice cream. I went and ate and then had ice cream. You see kind of the way that I worked my cruise vacation out? A lot of ice cream being consumed at the cruise vacation. I think they almost have to cut me off. I ate so much, but why? But no matter what I did on that cruise ship, no matter if I was going to sleep or read or eat ice cream, guess where the cruise ship was headed? Still to our destination. It wasn't changing its path. And so the idea here is that we live our lives today knowing where God is going to end up history in the future. And so I would encourage you as a Christian, I would encourage you that you walk by faith in the victory to come. Walk by faith in the victory to come. Walk by faith knowing that your salvation and that a new life awaits you in Christ. And I would encourage you, don't waste your life. Give it all to Jesus. Surrender everything you have to him. Think about this in, in, this, in this reality. Look here at uh, what Joshua does. Joshua, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down and they had it encircled for seven days. Joshua obeyed God even when it seemed to be crazy. Right? He obeyed God even when it seemed to be crazy. Here, here's what I would offer you. Are you willing today to put your yes on the table for Jesus? What I mean by that is, are you willing to go wherever God calls you to go and do whatever God tells you to do, even if it seems crazy, like walking around a city blowing ram's horns? Is your yes on the table? Are you completely surrendered like Joshua? Are you completely surrendered like Daniel? When Daniel, they say, Daniel, don't pray. If you pray, you're going to get thrown into the lion's den. Daniel's like, I don't care. I've prayed to my God all these years. I have developed a habit of prayer. I'm going to continue to do it. 
Are you going to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that says, I'm not going to bow down to the idols of this world because I believe in the truly risen Jesus Christ. Even if you throw me into the fiery furnace, I'm okay with that because my yes is to Jesus and Jesus alone. My, I am in complete surrender to Christ. You see, you only have that type of complete surrender when you see the future of what God is bringing you. Today, you need to be living a surrendered life to Jesus. Are you willing to give up anything and everything for the one who gave up everything for you to restore you back into the relationship with his father? In other words, let me say it one more time. Is your yes on the table? But number two, not only do we walk in victory for the age to age to come, but we also walk in victory. Knowing that Jesus has defeated death. Jesus has defeated our death. On that cross. And that empty tomb proves that our death has been defeated. In other words, for the believer, we no longer fear death. The sting of death has been removed. For me as a believer, when I die and breathe my last, I'm opening my eyes to life and life abundantly. To everlasting eternal life with God, which is going to be infinitely better than anything on this earth. And so I live knowing that no matter even if I die for Jesus, yes, he might save me from the mouths of the lions like Daniel, but he may not. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter because I know that when I look at the work of Jesus, I know death no longer has a sting or power over me any longer. Jesus resurrects to new life. And in that resurrection to new life, he offers me and you that same life by faith. So we walk by faith knowing that I can give up anything and everything for Jesus because all in the end that I'm looking to gain is who? Jesus himself. John Piper, in one of his most famous sermons that I've ever heard, called Don't Waste Your Life, he preached this in early 2000. Uh, he preached this to a group of young adults. You can actually YouTube it. It will blow you away. He actually has more hair then than he does now. And I love John Piper. He's my favorite guy on the planet. And John Piper, he made this comment. He said, guys, listen, don't waste your life seeking after the American dream. Because the American dream is just going to fail you. Give all that you have. Give all of your life to Jesus. Because what you gain with him for all eternity is way more than you'll ever get on this earth. He made this comment. He says, let me ask you, is this a tragedy? He said a couple of weeks ago, he got a call from some missionaries that his church had sent out to Cameroon. And it was two older ladies, one who who was a single person. She had been single up until her 80s or 90s. And she had given her entire life to Jesus. I think we need to, by the way, just as an offside, we need to recapture in our American church, we need to recapture the gift of singleness. We're trying to set everybody up. That's not, I'm sorry, don't be, that, didn't, that shouldn't come off across that harsh. But some people are gifted to be single to do multiple works for Jesus, like Paul. And this lady was single and she went and she decided to do uh, missions work in Cameroon. And there's another lady, she was a widow. Her husband had died and she was a medical doctor. And so she went with this woman to Cameroon and they began to heal the sick. They began to cherish the, uh, help the poor. They began to share the love of Jesus, not only in, wor- in deeds, but also in words. He said, in one night, as they were coming back from working, they died in a sudden automobile accident. Their brakes stopped working in their car, and they went over a cliff and died. And he looked up to the audience, and he says, is that a tragedy? He said, absolutely not. Because they gave their lives to the one who had already given their life, his life for them. They would look to you today, he said, if they could show up right now at this podium, they would look to you and say, following Jesus, even to my death, was worth it. Because in the end, I got Jesus. He said, you want me to tell you, young people, 
You may tell you what wasting your life really is. And he pulls out a, a, a pamphlet from the Reader's Digest. Now, some of you may not know what a Reader's Digest is, and that's okay. You don't have to. Something, it was like a, kind of like a, a, a magazine. And he says, let me show you what really wasting your life is all about. And he began to read about Bob, Bob and Penny. Bob and Penny had settled in on early retirement. They had sold everything from the Northeast. He was 59 and she was 51, and they moved to Florida. And they moved to Florida where they began to live on their boat and they began to go collect masses amounts of seashells. And that's what they were going to do for the rest of their lives on this earth. John Piper, in only John Piper fashion, looked up to his crowd and he says, that's wasting your life. Could you imagine when they stand before God and they're like, God, we didn't really do anything for you, but look at all of our seashells. And he told those young people, he said, be willing to give up everything to follow Jesus, including the American dream. He said, people are spending billions of dollars trying to get you to buy the American dream that will never fulfill you and will waste your life. And he says, for the next 40 minutes, I am going to convince you, don't buy it. Where does that type of mentality come from? That mentality comes from that we know, we know as Christians that we have victory in Jesus. We know that as Christians, our ultimate, our ultimate love and affections and everything we give our lives to is to Christ and Christ alone. That even if we go where God tells us to go and do what God tells us to do, even if it leads to our death, we gain Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has given us victory over the grave. That's how real faith meets Real life. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond by putting your yes on the table. Giving you an opportunity to say, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, my answer is already yes. Even if I don't understand, even if it makes zero sense, even if the people around me think that I'm crazy for doing it, my answer is yes to you. Because I know That my victory is in you, my victory is beyond the grave, and my victory awaits a new heavens and a new earth that you promised and you will provide in the end. Number two, by faith, by faith we walk in our salvation. Verse 31, so number two, by faith we walk in our salvation. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Oh, I love that Rahab gets added into the Hebrews chapter 11. So so her job at this time was a prostitute. Rahab lived in Jericho. Most likely she lived in the wall of Jericho. And we know her profession now. And she begins to hear rumors that the Israelites are coming, that the God of the Israelites are going to come destroy the city of Jericho. And as the spies come into the city of Jericho that Joshua had sent... She hides them because the people in the city find out that spies are in the city. And so she hides them in her house. And she tells everybody, no, they're not here. They must have gone out. Go find them. Go find them. Go find them. And when they get ready to leave, she says, remember me. I believe in this God that you are that's traveling with you. That's covenanting with you. That's in your presence. I believe that he is going to come. I believe that he's going to destroy this place. And I am leaning into his grace. I am leaning into his mercy. I am leaning into his goodness. And I'm asking you on my on his behalf to save me from that destruction. 
to save me from the destruction that is coming towards our city. And you remember what the spies said? They said, anybody in your house will be saved from the certain destruction coming. All you have to do is take this red cord, hold it out your window, and when the destruction happens, you and everybody in your house will be saved. But if anybody goes outside of your house, then their blood is on their own hands, not on ours any longer. This is Rahab's faith on display for us. She had faith and in that faith, she began to walk in the salvation of her faith. She said, okay, I'm going to do exactly what you told me to do. Because I believe that this God of yours can actually save me from the destruction that is coming my way. And let me tell you something. God is, God is still in the business of saving Rahab's. Hello? There is nobody on this earth, church, that cannot be reached with the gospel. Even the most broken and downcast. Even the people who don't see the world the same as you do. They are not out of reach of Jesus. Holler at me. Thank you. I don't care if they're prostitutes or whatever they are. Jesus can save them. He is in the business of saving people. And he's in the business of saving broken people. And guess what? We're all broken in need of that same Savior. And she began to walk in that salvation. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, we believe that she became one of like the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus himself. Some people think she went from being actually a prostitute to a princess. You see, brothers and sisters, we walk in the salvation that we have now. By faith, you and I walk in our salvation. This is what I mean by that. Salvation does not just get out of hell free card. Salvation just doesn't await me when I die. Salvation takes root in my life now. As I am a follower of Jesus, I, I still struggle with sin. I was actually on my prayer walk this morning at 6 a.m. around my neighborhood. I'm like, God, it is so hard to be one of your followers. And he reminded me, he's like, do you want me to remind you of the Apostle Paul? <laughs> You've got it easy, son. Yes, Lord, I do. Thank you for that remembrance from your word. But it's not easy to be a believer. We have to wrestle against ourselves. We wrestle with the, the temptations that are still dwelling within our sinful residue. We, we still deal with relationship issues and relationship problems. We still, we still battle and wrestle. But here's the reality. We battle and wrestle by faith and the salvation that we have in Christ. I know that when I make a mistake, Jesus isn't like, bye. My salvation and your salvation in Christ is secured for all eternity. Aren't you thankful for that? I know all of us made some mistakes this morning, right? Had some sin this morning. Aren't you thankful that Jesus isn't just like, oh, I'm going to push him to the side. We walk in that salvation. Listen, when you believe in Jesus, Jesus changes your life. Jesus begins to not cause you to be sinless, but he does cause you to start to sin less. You start to wrestle with sin. You start to mend the relationships that have been broken. You start to gather with God's people. You start to sit under God's word. You start to study God's word for yourself. You start to talk to God through prayer. Why? Because your salvation is secured in Christ. If you lose your job tomorrow, guess what? Your salvation is still secured in Christ. If you lose your spouse tomorrow, guess what? Your salvation is still secured in Christ. If your child goes wayward, guess what? Your salvation is still secured in Christ. Nothing and no one can take what Christ has done for you. It's sealed in stone. In fact, I like to say it this way. It's sealed in an empty tomb. And you walk in that salvation. Rahab walked in that salvation the rest of her days. 
Number three, by faith, by faith, we walk through suffering. This is the hardest one. When I, when I began to work through this sermon this week, I will tell you that I understand what some of you might be thinking. And I'll just say this. This sermon is easier said than done. It's way easier said than done. But by faith, we even walk through salvation. Now, I think there's an implication here in verses 30, 31 and 32. It's been talking this whole time about faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then verse 30 says through who through faith, this is the things that they did. And I think that that faith is still connected to the end of verse 35 all the way into verse 38. In other words, by faith, these people dealt with suffering. Look what happens here. Right after women receive back their dead by resurrection, 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. That's going back to point number what? One, victory in Jesus. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Many commentators think that that's actually a reference to Isaiah. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted. They were mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And then verse 39, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. In other words, by faith they walked through suffering. Unfortunately, we in the church in America have bought into too much of the prosperity gospel. Where we try to bring heaven to earth, not await heaven as our eternal reward. And so we have bought into the mentality that we should never suffer, internally or externally. And specifically, we believe we should never suffer for the sake of Jesus. But I would tell you that this text is actually an argument against that. It's because when you treasure Jesus above everything else, your suffering doesn't maybe get easier, but it starts to actually make sense. It makes sense in that you understand that this suffering is going to be temporary. Because one day when you're with Jesus, one day on those new heavens and new earth, guess what stops? Suffering. It is a temporary reality that is one day going to be overthrown and eradicated by Christ. And it puts our suffering into an understanding. It puts our suffering into a proper perspective. Did Jesus not suffer for us? And yet we think that we're above our master? What did Jesus say? Oh, the servant is not above his master. Just as they persecuted me, so too they will persecute you. But guess what? By faith, I will help you walk through it. By faith, I will help you walk through the suffering that comes from being a Christian. Let me give it to you in the form of a story. There's a couple of uh, people in this text that commentators have tried to identify. There was an early church father named Clement. And Clement, what he tried to do is he actually tried to highlight and, and pick out all the people found in these verses to try to identify them and name them. And in one of the areas, Clement made an argument that there was a, a wife, a woman, who had seven sons that would probably made her way into this. And what had happened is that this, this woman with her seven sons, these seven sons are being persecuted for their faith. They were Old Testament, so they were being persecuted for their Jewish faith. And she had watched six of her seven die because of their faith. Now, I'm just telling you right now, I'm pretty weak in that area. It would be very hard to watch that happen. And she watched six of them die. 
The pagan king came up to her when he was getting ready to persecute her seventh son. He said this, ma'am, I've already taken six of them away. He said, tell him to recant of his of this faith. Eat the flesh of swine and make it stop. And she looked at her son and she says, you go to the grave for Jesus. You go to the grave for your faith, just like your brothers did. And just like I'm sure one day I will too, because I would rather see you in heaven than see you suffer on this earth. Then I'd rather see you recant Jesus. I'd rather be with you then. So he was. He was martyred for her faith. And most likely commentators say that she was eventually martyred for her faith. Where does that kind of faith come from? It comes when you hold Jesus as the ultimate priority and treasure on this earth. That's what Jesus says. Wouldn't you rather gain him than, and lose the whole world? And gain the whole world and lose him? No, faith, suffering is not any easier. Yes, suffering does happen. And sometimes we can explain it. Sometimes we can't explain it. But I will tell you one thing. Suffering always, as a, for a true believer, always brings you closer to Jesus. And I know, guys, it's harder. It's so much harder to do that than to say it. But just because it's harder to do it than to say it doesn't make it any less true. I had my own experience of suffering this week. So I, have a, I had a part-time job. I used to work for a seminary. And I built this whole program for them. From the ground up, from scratch. I mean, it was thriving. It was doing so good, this job that I, this part-time job that I had. And I loved doing it. I was able to talk to people all over the world to get them theological education, to do what God had called them to do. And I talked to a guy this week from Mexico using our system. And I just, I loved it. We were, we were seeing people come by the droves to this program. I got a call this week from my supervisor and he says, hey, we're not going to renew our contract with you anymore. I was like, what? He's like, it's nothing you've done. In fact, you're very good at your job. In fact, you're really good. You're very proficient. It's just we want somebody that lives here in North Carolina. You're just geographically not located where we want you to be geographically located. And so we're going to no longer renew your contract. And I was devastated. That's Katie. Couldn't sleep Monday night. So angry. I had some time with God where I lamented. Have you ever lamented? Lamented is where I just shared all my harshest emotions with him. He's big enough. He can handle it. Why? Why? I built this program from the ground up, Lord. This was providing for my family. You know how, you know why they're swimming? It's because of this job. Do you know the influence I get to have with this job for you? Man, I get to influence people from all over the world with this job, and you're taking it away from me? Why? What did I do? Am I being punished for something? Now we've got to go back to counting pennies, Lord. So after I got done lamenting, I sat down to do my podcast for this week, and my podcast was to tell my testimony. And as I began to share my testimony, I began to recall all the ways that God saved me. I began to recall what God saved me from, because I was broken like Rahab. Then I began to recall how God called me into ministry. And I was like, 
And you know what I said to God? I said, I remember that day that Katie and I said to you, our yes is on the table. No matter where you tell me to go, and no matter what you tell me to do, our answer was yes. So then I was still wrestling, and that day I listened to a sermon by J.D. Greer, and J.D. Greer said, look, God's not looking for the most gifted, he's looking for the most surrendered. And I was like, mmm. Stop listening to J.D., Jeremy. And then after that, I have to get prepared to preach this sermon to you guys. Now, my suffering is first world suffering. It's nothing like our suffering of our brothers and sisters in China or Japan or in the Middle East. And so as I began to lament, I began to ask God, what are you trying to teach me? Three things. I said, Jeremy, you became so dependent on yourself that you were stopping having to look at me. You were secure in those finances. You were secure in that job and pastoring that you just started to take me a little bit for granted. So I took it away. Number two, Jeremy, you're starting to get a little arrogant because your influence was extending beyond the world and you thought this was all your own doing. So I'm going to humble you for a moment. And number three, are you going to practice what you preach? Are you going to surrender to me? Even if you might have to financially suffer a little bit and count those pennies. Am I still your greatest treasure, Jeremy? Yeah. Yeah, you are. So here's how I want you to respond to this message today. Are you willing to give everything to Jesus, even if it costs you everything? In other words, is your yes on the table? Because Jesus is your object and treasure in this life by faith. Number two, some of you in this room, you might be suffering greatly. Maybe you're suffering health issues or financial issues. Maybe you're suffering relational issues. Maybe you're suffering persecution yourself from your own job. And I want you to have the boldness today to say, yes, I'm suffering, Jeremy. And I need help. And if that's you, I want you to be bold enough to go to Kyle, our certified counselor on staff. And I want you to say, Kyle, I need to talk to you this week. I need you to help me take the gospel and apply it to the suffering that I am experiencing today. And Kyle will get you on his calendar and he will walk you through that. You don't have to walk through your suffering alone, brothers and sisters in Christ. And number three. Number three, maybe today you're sitting here and you're going, Jeremy, Jesus sounds really good. This Jesus sounds amazing. I want to treasure him. Just like you do. My yes. I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. I want to put my faith in the one that you've talked about. Who lived the perfect life. Died on the cross for my sin. And victoriously rose again. If that's you today. If today you say Jeremy. I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus. Then you come talk to me right after service. You put your yes on the table. You be bold. You come talk to me. And I'm going to put you on my calendar. And I'm going to walk you through what this decision looks like. So that's your way to respond this morning. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. I want to give you a few moments to put yourself into a posture of yes. So what I ask everybody to do, this is not ghosty, just put your hands and palms facing the Lord and say, Lord, I'm giving you everything that I am. 
Just put your palms out and right now you pray, God, my yes is on the table. My hands are open. You take whatever it is that you have to take away from me. Give to me whatever you have to give to me to do what you've called me to do. But, but I'm showing you a posture of surrender to say, yes, Lord. I will go wherever you tell me to go and do whatever you tell me to do. Some of you, that means I need to go talk to Kyle because I'm suffering. Some of you, that means I need to go talk to Jeremy because I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. So take a few seconds and bring your yes to Jesus this morning. Father God, I don't know how you're working across this room, but I know you are. Lord, humble us. Put us into a posture of complete and total surrender and submission. Even if that means we have to be proned out. So that we would be completely dependent on you. Father, may our faith cause us to walk in victory today. May our faith cause us to walk in salvation today. And may our faith help us to walk through suffering today. Real faith has to meet real life. So Lord, I pray that we all walk in that faith as we leave, get prepared to leave this place and be sent out. Father, I pray you would use us in any way you see fit to glorify your name and advance your kingdom. Amen. I'm going to ask Ronnie and Ryan to come forward. If Jesus is the object and treasure of your faith, then we invite you to the communion table this morning. We invite you to come to take these elements which are symbolic of the body and the blood of Jesus. The bread represents his body. The grape juice represents the blood that was spilt. This is the new covenant that we put our faith in. We, we offer this to anyone who is a follower of Jesus. If you are a faithful follower of Jesus... If you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus, even if you're from another church, you are welcome at this table. But here's what we do ask. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, we ask that you don't come to the table. Not because we want to make fun of you or ostracize you. It's because of this. We believe that this actually is symbolic of our faith. This means something to us as a believer. That when we take this, that we're reminded of what Jesus did for us. And we want you to sit and see this sermon preached to you through through our people here, through our partners here. And we pray that God would stir within you faith to come talk to me. I can share with you how you can take your next steps to being a follower of Jesus. And then when, you, when we see that you have put your faith in Jesus, when he, you have made him the treasure of, this, of your life, then we will welcome you to the table also as a brother and sister in Christ. We want that for you. We want you to join us at the table. But it requires a step of faith first. So at this time, if you are a follower of Jesus in good standing with your church, please come. Walk up here individually. They will hand you the elements. Go sit down and we will take it together as a family. So you move as the Lord leads.